Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very pleasant good Saturday afternoon to you. Harry Alexander with you and uh, Bunker de France here on Emil yep. um, Franzi's uh, Voices of the West. It is Saturday, the 21 of March. On the phone with us uh, for today is uh, our good friend Gene Freeze. Uh, he, are you, you're up in Chandler, is that right? Chandler, correct. Chandler. Gene's an author. He's written uh, a couple books. In fact, we had him on just a while back here talking about his latest book on uh, Robert Mitchum. But uh, Gene's also written uh, a book on one of my favorite stunt guys, and that would be um, Jack Mahoney. Um, today, and we're, one of our favorite actors. And too. one of our favorite actors. Hey, you know, I noticed something about our th- our theme song. Yes, that that'll get you bouncing in the saddle. Well, it's, it's kind as, of a bouncing. It's called the Great Frontier, and by golly, it ought to. It are it are a great frontier. We own that song too, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, um, so uh, Gene uh, Gene is a stuntman aficionado. So uh, that's why he's here to talk about our topic for today, which is Hal Needham. Hal Needham is a uh, was a writer. He was a stuntman. He was an actor. He was a director. He was uh, oh my god! His book is Stuntman: My Car Crashing, Plane Jumping, Bone Breaking, Death Defying Hollywood Life. <laughs> man That's broke just every keeping it simple. The, the man broke apparently broke every bone in his body. Uh, well, he broke I think fifty six bones. Uh, broke his back twice. Uh, knocked out a bunch of teeth. Um, McHugh. Uh, other than that, you know, a lot of hangovers, though. Sounds like a day at the Arizona Daily Star. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not that dangerous on a daily, you know, basis, hey, but it does happen, you know. Nowadays, we do jump off the, some desks occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> standing on the streets nowadays can be dangerous. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Actually, just walking in a grocery store nowadays can be dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything, just don't try to get yourself some toilet paper. I mean, yeah. that that's where the danger lies. Uh, but I have the black market cornered on TP, man. Oh, you, you, you need, got connections, huh? You, you need some. First one's free. Following that, <laughs> first roll is free. After that, you're going to pay a real hefty price. Right. Following that logic, if you go to a fast food place, you're on a fast track for an accident. There you go. So, Gene, tell us about Hal Needham. What's uh, what's your fascination with him? Oh boy, Hal Needham! I think he is up there as probably the highest profile stuntman of all time. Um, Right on par with Yakima Canute. I know the, the two of them are the only two to ever be honored by the um, Oscars. Mm-hmm. They were given honorary Oscars for their contributions because usually the, the stuntmen aren't really recognized by the Academy. They kind of pretend that they're not there. Stunt who? They always have. Stunt who? Yeah. They're, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, Hal Needham, he had nerves of steel and guts to spare, and he perfected a lot of stunts, uh, tried out a lot of new things, and figured them out for kind of a new breed of guys coming along. Mm-hmm. He's very versatile, um, kind of did away with the air of specialist when it came to stuntmen, guys who did only horse work or mm-hmm. did only fight scenes, did only falls, because uh, Hal Needham could do it all, and he did. Do either of you, uh, Bunker or uh, um, Gene, know, did Hal work with Yakima Canute? Did he learn the craft um, from Yak? Uh, you know, it's think, two different eras. You know, you can I know, I know, you can compare them. You can compare them, but for uh, they're almost equal in their eras because Yak brought in innovation, way of doing uh, stuff. You know, way of doing fights, way to do wagon stuff, uh, equipment. You know, new new approaches for. You know, in a sense, he was doing what Hal was doing, but in a in a much simpler way in a simpler time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hal mm-hmm. was very good at uh, utilizing the guys around him for their their skills and their technologies. And the cannon, like the cannon that they used in McHugh, which put him in the hospital. Uh, I can't think of his last name, but it was a stuntman, Denny 
Denny Arnold, not Denny Arnold, Denny... Uh, Gary McClarty. Well, what, no, Gary McCarty did the stunt, but the guy who right. developed the cannon uh, was mm. Denny uh, something. I yeah, just, I think it was uh, Denny Arnold. Was it Denny? Okay, it was Denny Arnold. That's what I was thinking. I, I believe I, so. Because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a Wrangler, Denny Arnold, too, and I'd always, mm-hmm. I always, because you know, he was the one that ran all the horses on Chaparral. But, uh, uh, mm-hmm. but well, you know, one of the things about Hal is, is he could honestly say he never turned a stunt down in his life. In fact, he mm-hmm. did a few stunts that other guys had turned down like, to help him make his name. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, when I think of uh, Hal Needham, especially when it comes to Westerns, I, I really go back to uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, which is yeah. where he got his start, doubling for Richard Boone. And he's all over that show. Yeah. And uh, Bo- Boone gave him a shot, and he ran with it. I mean, I, I think he probably showed up in 40 50 episodes playing parts and he's just all you know 200 more episodes i think he was doubling boone and uh doing fights and hal was good at fights he threw a great punch and boy threw himself over every prop available i think (laughs) if there was a wall he ricocheted off of it yes well you know one of the interesting things too is is that he was up in he was working had a little tree cutting company you know topping trees trimming mm-hmm. trees and like that and a buddy of his was working extra on some of these shows and said you know this is a good way to pick up a couple of extra bucks and how oh, that's one thing about him he was very ambitious about earning a living because uh, he came from I mean, utter poverty I mean he almost made uh, yeah. Dolly Parton look like a princess that's how bad his, his mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, anyhow, they were on the set of this one particular episode. I think I've got that got that information there, right here. But they were just kind of lolling around, and they had a scene there where it was called Haunted Trees. That was the episode. And they had a scene mm-hmm. there where, you know, Paladin was kind of like a superhero in his own day. He seemed like he could do anything. <laughs> And they got a scene there where he's supposed to, Paladin's supposed to go up this tree like he knows what he's doing. Well, the stunt coordinator on the show couldn't do it. He tried and he mm-hmm. failed miserably. And you know, it, it's typical when something like that happens on a set, they kind of stand around there for a minute going, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> and invariably somebody will say, oh, I can do it. And Hal said, I can do it. And they yeah. said, oh, yeah. He said, no, I can do it. He says, that's what I do for a living. So they said, well, show mm-hmm. us. So he put on the belt, uh, the belt and the spurs, and he went up that tree like a squirrel. Hmm. And they mm-hmm. said, "That's great. Put the clothes on him." And they said, "But slow it down. We you know, this is, that looks too good." <laughs> and so that's what he did. Uh, the he next, made it look easy, huh? Yeah. Well, that's the way he did everything. And so the next day, anyhow, they were going to do a fight fight scene when the coordinator. Just couldn't get it together. Couldn't get the fight coordinated. They fired him on the spot. Mm-hmm. Hal was never bashful. They're going. Well, what are we going to do? Stand, standing around again. What are we going to do? Hal said, "I can do it. <laughs> I can sit up." And they and Boone said, "Give the kid a chance. He's smaller than me. Cut the clothes down. Put pin him up. Do the fight. Did the fight. Boone fell in love with him, <laughs> and it just mm-hmm. it just grew from there." Yeah. Yeah, there's a it's kind of the funny thing about those have gun will travels is that it kind of takes you out of the reality of the episode because mm-hmm. Needham is so recognizable as Hal Needham. It's kind of when he when he starts doubling for Richard Boone, it's like, well, there's Hal Needham as Richard Boone, you know, and you you don't He's, have the illusion anymore that it's still Richard Boone doing everything. Maybe because Needham was so recognizable himself, you have the the high cheekbones. Mm-hmm. I think he had some black Blackfoot Indian in him, and just watching watching those episodes, you're always aware that it's Hal Needham in there now. Uh, and, and I don't know if that really holds true for many other stunt guys. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched uh, uh, Have Gun Will Travel religiously, and I can mm-hmm. honestly say I never never thought about that. Well, you know, never saw, yeah. never even thought. It's, it's there in was the a eyes. You know, yeah. it's, it's how you look at it. Yeah, it's like. Uh, a lot of the times, it's not so much that he that he that you can tell the face; it's at the way he mm-hmm. moves. Okay, it's just yeah, like, right. you know, it's just like this cobra moving, striking. Well, Bunker, when you're mm-hmm. on camera, 
I have learned to be able to tell when you are in a scene. <laughs> when, when I've watched, you know my hat. Uh, well, your hat, and I know your walk, <laughs> and and so. But if I'm horseback, how can you tell? But I'm not walking mm-hmm. on the horse. I know how my not. horse walks. No, no. <laughs> how you sit the horse, I understand that. But I'm talking how you walk when you walk. Oh, you like a duck. <laughs> he's going to be difficult, but I can tell when when he's on in a scene. Yeah. And, well, my mom was that way. Yeah. You know, I, but but she saw me in everything. I well, mean, my mother saw movies, me in movies that were shot before I was born. Yeah. She saw me. In. Uh-huh. Uh, my mother yeah. always said. My mother always said. Well, I saw you with Dan Rather. No, please not. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a, there's a thing too uh, with Hal. When you see his early work in uh, Have Guns, his acting, and that was because Boone was coaching him, and Boone used to teach mm-hmm. acting, and you could, he, it just shows you how fast and a learner he was. He was as good as the, you know, these guest stars that had been sure. working for twenty years, yeah. and one mm-hmm. of the things I noticed about him is, Hal was good looking enough. He could have, he could have been. A working actor because he always reminded right. me of John Garfield. He was that type. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think out of all the guys that he doubled, that he probably resembled uh, Christopher George yes. the most. But but he um, he doubled everybody. I mean, Dean Martin, Burt Reynolds. He doubled for a long time. They um, they became fast he, friends too. Kirk Russell. I mean, Kirk Douglas. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Kirk Douglas. Some guy named Bert, yeah. too. He doubled some Bert guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Couldn't be Bert Reynolds, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> guy hung around Hollywood for years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't have much to do, obviously. <laughs> well, let's do let's do a little basic uh, bio here on Hal. Uh, born in uh, 1931, March 6th, actually, of 1931 mm-hmm. in Memphis. And passed away October of 2013 in Los Angeles at age 82. Uh, do we know death was natural, uh, probably natural causes? Cancer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The guy breaks it, every damn bone in his body and dies of cancer. Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, if Hal was probably a three-pack minimum a day guy. Ah. It, you know, it just, that's just, it goes with the territory for an awful lot of people, and especially when you're doing something like that, it's, it's you know, the smokers say it calms you. I don't know. I've never smoked, but uh, that's mm-hmm. you say it's a calming effect. Yeah. Well, well he was, as, he as a former smoker. smoker, yeah, former smoker. Yeah. Well, you know, talking about his childhood, uh, his family was—they were sharecroppers. Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad, if I remember right, uh, left early. He ended up with a uh, stepfather, an Englishman, who had a very uh, outstanding career in the military, hmm. uh, but uh, I think he got gassed or something, so he was always uh, of tricky health. But Hal always said that his his uh, stepfather was one of the greatest guys he ever knew. You know, just for because he sounds taught, like he made quite an impression on well, his he, uh, stepson. I think he taught him honesty and mm-hmm. and you know, and the thing though is like the family again, the family was so poor. That again, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say he makes Dolly Parton look like a princess. That's how poor the family mm-hmm. was, and how hard scrabble. One of the things that his uh, original father did was the family, because they were sharecroppers. They would, uh, you know, the way that worked is the guy that owned the land, you would pay him, you know, to rent mm-hmm. basically lease, and then he would get a percentage of your crop generally. Mm-hmm. 60 40 in his favor. Mm-hmm. Well, what he would do is he would take and sell the crop and then move the family to another place and not pay the guy. Oh. <laughs> but they still, you know, uh, his mom and his mom lived to be, I think, 90 something. And I mean, this this is a storybook devotion to his mom. He, mm-hmm. he took care of her he took, in her later life. She never had, she never wanted for anything. Mm-hmm. And Growing up, I mean, it was, you know, again, sharecropper, uh, just sacrificing everything for the kids. Sure. You know, he had a brother and a sister, and uh, and they had a couple of mules. And there's, there's a great story about there when uh, they had been sent to town. They were uh, taking, 
I think if I remember right, they were bringing something back, the white wagon load of something back, him and his brother. And on the way, one of the neighbors said, look, uh, could you take my wagon in and bring some stuff back? So Hal and his brother are coming back in two wagons, Hmm. young boys, two wagons, a team. They started racing. Of course. And, of mm-hmm. course, one of the wagons wrecked. Guess which one? I'll bet it was Hal's. You bet you got it. <laughs> and, uh, but that was just, you know, and... He probably planned the wreck. <laughs> yeah, he rigged it, yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 but, you know, the funny thing is, again, by this time he was with the stepdad, and, the, you know, he was expecting a beating or something, and the stepdad just sat down with him and, he, you know, he said, hey... These things happen. We'll work through it. Yeah, uh, we're talking mm-hmm. about uh, Hal Needham, uh, director, writer, stuntman, actor, all around great guy. Uh, he p- did the uh, direction of the Smokey the Bandit movie franchise, a bunches of other goodies, and uh, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We got to take our first commercial break here, but before we do that, I want to tell you about some popular history that tells us women gained the right to vote back in 1920, and that was with the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. But if you pick up a copy of Chris Enz's latest book, No Place for a Woman you're going to learn that women were voting as early as 1870 back in the Wyoming Territory. Enns tells the stories of three women whose work and lobbying helped usher in a new era for expanding women's rights. This is a must-have book for your Western collection. Make sure you get one. Get your copy of No Place for a Woman at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or at ChrisEnns.com. That's E-N-S-S.com. And listen for Chris on Voices of the West. She'll be with us April 18th at 4 p.m. to hear more of her story about, or more of her uh, book, No Place for a Woman, as well as we're going to talk about some uh, things. Uh, she's written a book about the Pinkertons, and we're going to have some of that too. So we'll Pinks. be back. The Pinks will be back right after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We were out on a lone prairie on Franklin's Ridge one night. Our heads up on our saddles, the fire was burning bright. Some were telling stories. We are back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, and uh, Jimmy uh, Davis there, Cowboys Home Sweet Home. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and uh, guest in here in studio is David Layton. And on the horn, we have uh, Gene Freeze up in the Chandler area. And we are talking about uh, we are talking about uh, stuntman extraordinaire uh, Hal Needham. Well, let so. me bring us right up to the start of his stunt career. Well, well that's a great idea, well, you know, Bunker. We we kind of got to early childhood. Uh, as he got into those teen years, uh, post-high school, which I think was only eighth grade, but uh, he, he started, uh, got a job uh, topping trees, working for a uh, tree service, was doing very good. Korean War came along. He joined up, became a paratrooper. Uh, did you see, He never got to Korea, which was what his one regret, but he ended up, he was testing shoots, you know, Experimental mm-hmm. parachutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, his whole life was preparation for the stunt work. Hmm. After that, he went back to topping trees, and it brings us right to <laughs> Have Gun Will Travel, where wow. we left off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we can squeeze You Asked For It in there, too, Bunker. Do what now? The, the You Asked For It. Yeah, so that's, that was his start with, uh, what was the guy's? Yeah. Uh, Cliff? Uh, Cliff Rose, I think. Yeah, Cliff Rose. That's an interesting story. You want to tell it, or you want me to? Uh, you can bunker. Okay, well, this is with Cliff Rhodes. He he was uh, the guy I think that went with him to have a gun that got him on there working extra. But Cliff mm-hmm. came to him one day and said, "Hey, look," because Cliff wanted a career in the picture business doing stunts. He says, "Look," he says, "I've lined up a job with uh, uh, you asked for it." He says, uh, "How do you feel about jumping out of an airplane and bulldogging me off a horse?" And Hal said, okay, why not? Uh, now, what the, the story behind that is that Cliff had done a couple of have guns, I mean, a couple of the, uh, you asked for it, where people would write in, you know, the premise was you write in, ask to see somebody do something goofy, funny, dangerous, or stupid. And Cliff fell, fell into the stupid part of it. Uh, and anyhow, he said, uh, this is what we do. And so they went out, and they actually did some practicing with the plane to get the speed down. They're flying this, I can't remember, it was a little single-engine overwing thing, like a Cessna or something. But mm-hmm. they're down, they're flying at stall speed, which is about 54 miles an hour. Yeah, it was probably That's a still pretty damn fast. Yeah, it is. And yeah. they did the stunt twice. The first time, he kind of overflew it, and second time, it was perfect. Uh, later on, they did some more with more things that Cliff wrote in and said, I want to see this. But he did, uh, Hal did two of the uh, You Asked For It with, hmm. with Cliff. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Go early, ahead. Early days, you know, they used yeah. to tell the story that it was all Hal's idea, but uh, Hal fessed up and said, no, it was Cliff. I can't take credit for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he never now, took credit for anything he didn't do. Now, when when he was had started on Have Gun Will Travel, I know one of the first films he was trying to get on was The Alamo with John mm-hmm. Wayne, and he couldn't get on it because uh, I think Cliff Lyons was uh, the stunt gaffer on that and was only taking people who were established in features down to uh, Texas, Brackettville. So they took all these stuntmen, you know, and excluded Hal Needham, 
they all went down to Texas, but it ended up working out in uh, Needham's favor because everybody was out of town. And exactly. They had all TV shows, <laughs> westerns going on, and all of a sudden, you know, Needham was booking three or four shows in a day. And I think on one day he even did five shows in one day. Right. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, different. I'm looking at his uh, IMDb information here, mm-hmm. and I mean, tons of stunts, obviously, and most of them uncredited. And oh, sure. Typical back that, that was typical. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Was he part of the movement that was able to get stuntmen and women recognized as uh, get get the credit at the on the screen? I wouldn't say he was part of the movement, but he was probably one of the driving forces because uh, he mm-hmm. was he was very aware of the necessity for self promotion. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, uh, if you don't. If you if you're not well, uh, Boone said it himself. He says uh, he speaks up for himself, mm-hmm. and he spoke. Mm-hmm. But he would speak up for the guys around him too, and he always was working that everybody was paid fair and equally. Uh, he was one of the first stuntmen to to uh, actually do a uh, threaten a walk off on the set uh, over uh, a situ a problem. I can't remember what it was, but he said, you know. He said, we'll go home. And I, I think it had to mm-hmm. do with money or adjustments. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, and this is a funny thing. When you read his book, he names all kinds of people in there. He doesn't name one production manager. <laughs> because those were the guys he was always dealing mm-hmm. with about money. Because ah, you know, yeah. you know, the way it works is you go to work on a, on a SAG contract. That's flat. That's what you're going to get that whether you do anything or not. Now, if you do a stunt, you don't negotiate the price before. You do it after when the stunt is in the can. So pretty much, you know, they could just say, well, no. What's wrong with that picture? Well, it's just the way it's always been done. <laughs> yeah, but what's wrong with that picture? That I mean, you want me to do a particular job. Here's what my rate is for that particular job. Well, one of the things I was like, generally... Like a saddle falls, there was a, a, a going rate for saddle falls, okay. a going rate for high falls, you know, different things like that. Okay. And then, de- de- depending upon the degree of difficulty or complication or risk involved, that was just what would establish it. Now, to give you an example of how that works, when they were doing uh, Mad, 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 Mad World, Towards the end, you know, when they're having that big scene where all the stunt people are on the fire escape yes. and they're falling yes. off. Well, the uh, production manager said, "Look, we're going to be paying. We're going to pay ten dollars a foot for the falls. So if a guy does a hundred, you know, hundred feet, uh, ten feet, he does a hundred dollars, right?" Bear Huggins mm-hmm. speaks up. He says, "I'll take ten dollars of that one foot fall." Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's it's that's just the way. And who's who's uh, off the topic here? Who sets up? Who set up that kind of that kind of thing? Who determines if a stunt uh, the stunt's difficulty? Is it the stunt person, the stunt coordinator, the director, or who who has that kind of authority to say this is how the show? Well, that's that's uh, an interesting topic because a stunt man, of course. He wants to get as much money as he can. Sure. So mm-hmm. he will try to make that stunt look Difficult. and sound. Mm-hmm. I, I, I used to get in trouble all the time because I, I do something and I say that was easy, but I meant it was well set up because if it's if a stunt mm-hmm. is set up right, you know if there's any effects they go perfect. Whatever your 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 equipment works. And you walk away, and I mean, and and because a lot of times doing a dangerous stunt. Is as easy as getting out of bed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's as e- it's not as easy. It's like tripping and falling down a flight of stairs mm-hmm. when you're not planning to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's, but you so the the stunt man wants to get that, but he also knows like say he's he's working on working on the Alamo and he does it, and he's one of the Mexican soldiers that gets blown off his horse. Well, he's going to get the standard. Uh, Rate probably. Mm-hmm. One of the things that happens though is if you're on a low budget picture, that standard rate is fluctuates mm-hmm. because the stunt coordinator he'll go up to him and he'll say, "Well, I, I, I want I want two fifty for that one," and he'll say, "That's not in my budget." Mm-hmm. And you'll go, "Well, I want it's not in my budget. 
I'll give it to you. But I'll, t- I'll make it up to you on the next one. So you're always working, and I lost more money on we'll make it up on the next one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, again, the directors think a stuntman can do anything. You know, they, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you can you can blow yourself up with an atomic bomb covered in napalm over a bottomless pit, and he thinks, well, that's you know anybody <laughs> can do that, uh, and and it's not it's not the case, but. You know that's 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 what gets stuntmen killed. You know, yeah, yeah. is directors that think stuntmen can do or get them hurt, because eventually they'll do like Hal did. He he would go. The directors would say, "I want this." And Hal said, "You can't do it." Yeah, I want this. I got you can't do it. You're a stuntman. You can do it. And Stunner said, "Hal, go okay. I'll do it." And then he'd go over and say, "Have the have the uh, meat wagon standing by," because he knew he was probably going to get hauled <laughs> off. Wow, that's a real stuntman for you. Job security. <laughs> he knew he was going to get yeah. hurt, and he's like, "I'm going to do it anyway." Hey, they, you'd be surprised how many guys knew they doing a stunt going in. They knew they were going to get hurt. Their primary concern was that they didn't get hurt enough that if they had to do it again, they couldn't do it. Because uh-huh. the worst thing in the world would be for to a stunt man is do a stunt, then the director say, well, "I need to see that again," and the guy say, "I can't do it." My back, you know, something like that. Most of them, even if they were dying, would do it again. Yeah, just wow. because you know, in other words, they say, "Well, this guy gets hurt all the time. We can't use him." What a, what a way to make a living! And the funny thing is, <laughs> seriously, what a way to make a living. Well, the stunt, you know, and the stunt men are a very close community. But at the same time, like any community, there's competition and uh, competitiveness. And if you can mm-hmm. eliminate a strong competitor, and you, especially in your area, special specialties, uh, you know, you, you might say a, you might say a derogatory thing about his ability mm-hmm. in, in the right ear, just hoping to get you the job. Mm. We are talking about uh, Hal Needham, uh, director, actor, stuntman, and author, author, all kinds of things. (laughs) Uh, Here Mm -hmm. on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Yeah, innovator, too. We're going to talk about some of those innovations after we come back from this uh, next commercial break here. So do stay tuned. We will be back with much more right after these very important messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Man, this is frustrating. It's taken me like five minutes just to load my homepage. Did you try Control-Alt-Delete? Uh-huh. Did you jiggle the cord? Uh-huh. Did you turn it on and off again? Uh-huh. Call Arizona Computer Guru. Don't let viruses get you down. With our Guru Protection Service, we'll keep you virus-free. In fact, if you were to get a virus, we would fix it for free. Speak to a technician right now at 304-8300 or at azcomputerguru.com. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. 
Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC stubs or movie pass. So after finishing this podcast, please give the movies out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google play. Simply search movies out until then. And that's a wrap. Now, your friend had the trouble with one of Kirby's punchers. Did he get a good look at you? Well, it makes no difference whether he did or not. He won't tell nobody nothing. Someone happened along, and I think it was that stranger Billy Carson. But I don't believe he was close enough to recognize anyone. We can't have any guesswork on anything like that. No guesswork when you listen to the voices of the world. We are back here on Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and our in-studio guest is uh, David Layton. On the horn, we have... Man, this is a busy, busy show. We've got uh, on the horn is uh, Gene Freeze. We're talking about um, stuntman Hal Needham. And he... He he was he was one of the greats, obviously, and um, he came up with a lot of innovations. Who wants to go first, Gene or Bunker? Go ahead, Gene. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, airbag for one, cannon ram. Um, explain those. Explain those. He, well, the, in the old days, the stuntmen used to do high falls into uh, boxes, cardboard boxes that they had stacked together and tied up. And they wouldn't go much more than like 20, 30 feet in the air. And what would happen is the boxes would, would collapse with the fall. They'd have a mattress on top of it or something, and that, that broke the fall. And I believe Needham saw, you know, some track people, you know. High jumpers. Doing, uh, yeah, high jumpers, pole vaulters, going into a bag that had air in it. And he's, he always had, you know, an, an innovative mind. And he thought, well, maybe we can start doing that was you know stunt guys and it immediately took the the height that you know they were able to start doing high falls you know all of a sudden they were doing 50 60 feet on high falls and and by the the 70s guys were doing you know 100 feet foot falls into airbags it really became quite dramatic but um and, that and was a needum in event was that something that the fire departments then adopted Mm, well, I think a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the fire departments had been using something like that, but, well, I, that's but what I uh, mm-hmm. not to that extent, you okay. know, or that height. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and you talked about the, the, the cannon? The cannon the cannon ram, um, that was on, Bunker mentioned McHugh, the John Wayne uh, cop show movie that they did up in Oregon. And... Needham uh, came up with a way to uh, flip the car over without going up on a, a ramp. Because in the old days, you could always see where they would drive, you know, one side of the car up on a ramp to mm-hmm. flip it over. Mm-hmm. And what he did was uh, actually had, you know, an, a pipe in the back that had, you know, like a piece of wood or two by four in it. And they used an explosive charge, you know, to detonate it at the time that. Um, you know, the, they wanted the stunt to go off, and it basically flipped the car over. You know, they could do seven or eight flips with a car, hmm. you know, depending on how much charge they put. And that's the first time Needham did that, he broke his back. And uh, it ended up being Gary McClarty that did the stunt in McHugh that just used, you know, a less powder, I think, for the, the charge. They but um, that became a very... Yeah, that became a very common stunt in the, the mid-'70s car crash pictures and and that developed from Needham. So. Yeah, just to comment on that a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early days, you'd, you'd see, especially in the gangster pictures in the 30s, a car would come screaming around a corner. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and flip. Mm-hmm. Well, what they would do is, first of all, they'd let wet the road down so that it was so that it was smooth. Uh, if you notice, they almost always hit the curb, yep. which would, would cause the thing. But the other thing that they would do is they would lower the air pressure on the flip side mm-hmm. so they would have the car a little bit of a tip and a little bit of drag, you know, just basic physics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these were guys that were doing it by instinct. They weren't they weren't physicists. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was kind of the thing there. With the cannon that they used on McHugh, they used the mortar like they would use. Like you saw a battlefield scene, you know, mm-hmm. the guys are running across, mm-hmm. and they'd blow a bunch of cork and mm-hmm. crap up in the air and, mm-hmm. and, you know, make it look like the world was ending. <laughs> and they put in a... Uh, a section of telephone pole, and when Hal did it, you know they they tried it the first time they tried it, they put in some, and it bar- it barely bumped the car up, so they said, well, you know and they've only got five charges, so they got to, they got to figure out, so they did another one, and it it lifted the car a little bit, so Hal said, well put a you know we're down to three. Put the big one in. They put the big one in, and the car flipped over and over and over and over and over and over. And a week later, it landed. (laughs) Did did they get a print of that one or have to... Well, they weren't even shooting it. That was just practice. Because one of the things, too, is Mm -hmm. the way they did the car, it was done on a beach, flat. There's no way they could hide a ramp. Uh, And that was just, again, Mm -hmm. that was the thing. But speaking of his other innovations... Tell them about the one that won them the Academy Award, the shot maker. Oh, you you can do that. Okay. That <laughs> I'll leave that one to you. Bunker. Okay. Well, the shot maker, basically, uh, you know, to do a shot, a, a, a traveling shot, it's, I don't say on a Chapman, you had to lay track. It had, you could only move limited on how fast it moved because the Chapman would pick up the slightest vibration. It's just like I rode many a Chapman when they were doing a shot and you didn't move. I mean, shifting your weight and these Chapmans weigh tons. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came up with a, you had like the Chapman or a camera car. That was it. And the camera car basically was a, a pickup with, with the bed removed, put a flat bed in there. Uh, put a galvanized thing on the top of the thing, a little platform that you can move on the front, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. take it off, put it on, and but hardly any space to have camera or crew or sound men. So he came up with an idea for a, a like a, he was probably using a one-ton pickup, but he can put it in such a way that he could put an arm on it, elevate it, do 360, hmm. and could run at you know, in, in the 50s, very safely, very wow. smoothly. Wow. And because of that, he won the uh, the Governor's Award, you know, which is a Technology Academy sure. Award, yeah. which are just, you know, it's no less than Best Actor or Best Picture. It's just for technology. That just it blows my mind, the, the way they thought of doing things. Well, I mean, you know, you know necessity, to, the mother of invention. You know? To jump way towards the end of his career, you know, with the Budweiser car, with the Skull Bandit car, the Rocket car, setting the land speed record with Stan Barrett of 766 point whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and you might want to comment on that a little bit, uh, Gene. Um, yeah, it's kind of, he. by the time that he was doing Smokey and the Bandit and starting to make a little money, and he got into race cars more and uh, the land speed record and just kind of kept pushing himself in different directions and, and yeah they they worked on that i think out in the the dry desert out in california setting um you know just seeing how fast they could go well you, it, it was stan barrett that that was in the car yeah well you know the the first time they tried it uh, and they did it up at salt lake area and uh, at that time, Hal set the land speed record, but it wasn't because mm-hmm. what they wanted to do was break the sound barrier. Uh-huh. And he, the promoter that he was, he had worked out a deal with CBS uh, and some sponsors, you know, to cover the expense and cost sure. of this thing and to make some money. Yeah. And anyhow, he did it, but the problem with uh, Stalt Lake was that they would break through the crust. And that would that would keep them from doing it. They moved out to L.A. to the the area where they land this 
space shuttle, and that's where they mm-hmm. did it. And they did a run, a Stan did a run and broke Hal's record, did another run and broke his record, did another run, broke his record again, and then finally, you know, uh, CBS is saying, hey, you know, uh, we're running out of patience and time, and you haven't broke you haven't broke the sound barrier, mm-hmm. and so they went for it, and that's when uh, Stan did seven six 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 plus whatever, and mm-hmm. he also became for a while their number one driver on the Skull Bandit. Hmm. Speaking yeah. of the the race cars, Bunker, you've got a great story to tell about picking up the Trans Ams for oh. uh, for uh, for Hal. Well, and this was for the Smokey and the Bandit movie, right? Well, no, no. Actually, this was after he had done Smokey. Oh, okay. And the next movie after Smokey was the villain, which I had worked on with him. And and anyhow, after the movie, oh, maybe three or four weeks after we finished and everybody's back in town, I got a call from his office from Laura Lazar, his his, uh, executive secretary, saying, Hal wants to see him. I come in, and he goes, he says, uh, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, well, I'm, th- I'm thinking, oh, boy, good, good, big stunt job on location. And he goes, I said, nothing. I, no, no. He says, he says I, bought, I bought two Trans Ams in Tucson while we were doing the villain, and they've been working on them, you know, doing, putting, you know, jacking them up, carburating them, uh, <laughs> you know, just making supercars out of them. And... Mm-hmm. I want you and Chuck Duncan. He's already talked to Chuck. He's doing it. And Chuck uh, it stood in for Reynolds a lot and doubled him a couple of times because he was, really looked a lot like him. It was a good double. Uh, anyhow, he says, uh, Chuck's going to bring back Birch Trans Am, and I want you to bring mine back. And I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what you're doing. So, anyhow, I come out to here, and I picked it up, and I'm coming back. And, I mean, oh, God. I had never, at that time in my life, I had never driven anything. I mean, it was like I had had a 57 Ford Fairlane uh 500, yeah. you know, which was a, which was the actually the Thunderbird, right, right, the engine and yeah. it, and I had I had run that puppy a hundred, hundred and ten. Well, you had mentioned that all you had to do to step, uh, you just touch the accelerator, oh. and you're at sixty miles an hour. Well, at sixty, <laughs> you're talking about. I mean, li- you literally just just put your two fingers together and just leave enough space to see through. And that's about all you'd have to do, and you'd be sitting, you'd be hitting sixty-five, seventy. And and the handling characteristics. Oh, the steering, it was it was pause the track, and which meant again, you just put your finger, and that literally, you could just put your finger on the steering wheel, and just move it, flick it, not even move it, just kind of flick it, and you'd be two or three lanes over if you weren't careful. And the neat part, though, is coming back. I, I just coming into Riverside, and. And I'm cruising along, you know, and alongside here comes a couple of uh, carload of uh, Mexican gentlemen. We'll put it that way. Uh, looking and they're, to, and they're, they're looking to race. Yeah, and, and they pull alongside, <laughs> and then they, you know, it's like when you want to race. Yeah, yeah. You'd get, they'd accelerate up and yeah. then drop, zip up, you know, yeah, yeah. zip up, zip up, and drop. Yeah. We keep doing it. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going. And I realized like, these guys. They're not gonna. They're not gonna stop. So I, I go I give them the nod. And we go like that, and I and I mean I didn't even floorboard it. I just, <laughs> just you know, just a little step on it, and Gone. they're back there in the rearview mirror. You know, quarter of a mile. And when you got the car to Hal, his girlfriend wanted to drive it, and you or and you well, had to follow. I got her. I got back to L.A. I pulled into uh, Beverly Garland's. Uh, Howard Johnson, that's one of the hangouts, and called up to the house to make sure somebody was home. And, you know, and, and, and so I called and I get Hal, and he goes, Yeah. He says, He said, I'm going to send Tara down. Tara Buckman was his girlfriend at the time, which she was an actress on, on Smokey, one of the one of the two gals in the jumpsuits, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know what she looked like. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so Tara comes down, and she's going to leave me back, right? Uh uh-uh. uh. I want to drive the car. And I'm going, I don't know, Terry. I'm going to drive the car. And I'm going, well, 
it's it's his car and his girlfriend. I go, okay. So I'm driving her car, and she's driving something, a little one of those sporty Toyota when they were first come over, and they were like sport cars before they were mm-hmm. common man mm-hmm. cars. Was that a Toyota Supra? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyhow, Hal, uh, Hal was living up on 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 Mohone in the guest house with Burt Reynolds, and the only thing, only reason I could keep up with her was because the roads are so twisty up there that because I mean she was she could drive, and that little that little Toyota could run. But nothing like that Trans Am. How, how long did he keep the Trans Ams? I don't know. I mean, he never he never consulted me on oh, that. Okay. Area. I thought maybe you knew. It'd <laughs> been nice if he called and said, "Hey, Bunker, I've, I've, I've got this thing is broke down. I it know won't, it won't do, but 120 now. I know. You want it? Yeah, hell yeah. No, hell but yeah. he didn't do that. No, so I don't bad. know. We were talking about the life and career of director, stuntman, author, and uh, writer um, Hal Needham. And Gene Freeze is on the phone. David Layton's in the studio with us. And Bunker DeFrance is here. And I'm Harry Alexander. This is Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. We will be right back after these important messages. Cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting place courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at Tucson Trap and Ski. Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. VOW Radio. The cattle prowl and the coyotes howl out on that great divide. I never done no wrong, just singing a song. As down the trail I ride I just love this old cowboy music Jimmy Rogers Cactus is in bloom 
right singing here. Singing Brickland. That's right. Right here on Abel Franzi's The Voices of the West, man. It's good stuff. That is good stuff. We should do a Jimmy Rogers uh, show. You know? Yeah. Why not? Why yeah. not? God, yeah. Gene Freeze is on the horn, and uh, we're talking about um, Hal Needham, and uh, we got to talk about the horses. Yes. That is a good topic. Hal had three mm-hmm. of the top horses in the business. He had Hondo, which is a horse he picked up from uh, Chuck Roberson. Uh, Roberson took Hondo down on the Alamo. Uh, he was still kind of green. Chuck wasn't happy with the way he was working out. He ended up ended up letting uh, Hal own him. Uh, the other horse was Alamo, and one of the most famous movie horses, Pie was Al's horse. Really? Which Jimmy Stewart. That's yeah. the story there. He were, they were doing a show, and I think it was Bandolero, and Al wanted, like, he wanted, like, more money for the guys or something, and they just said no. He said, okay, that's fine. They thought he'd, they'd, he'd argue. He said, no, he's not going. He was just walking out the door from the meeting. He goes, oh, by the way, uh, make sure uh, Mr. Stewart knows that... Uh, I won't be doing the show, and so he won't be writing pie. They said, oh, wait a minute. Come back. We want to talk. And this will just, just give me an idea. You know, cause The more you know about the guy, the more impressive he is. He owned over mm-hmm. 250 horses with two partners, a rental stable uh, for the studio work with mules, burros, work horses, trick horses, falling horses, jumping horses. He had stagecoaches, buggies, wagons, surreys of all sorts. Uh, you know, the man, the man was just, hmm. he saw opportunity everywhere he looked, I do believe. Mm-hmm. Now, now, looking at his IMDb listing here, and, and not necessarily that that's an accurate listing, but I see a number of movies here that I recognize that you were in, Bunker. Uh, doing stunts and doubles and stand-ins and whatnot. So, any idea how many that you worked uh, with Hal? Well, let's see. Villain, The Animals. Um, Judge Roy Bean. Judge Roy Bean. You know, a bunch of them. And then I worked some, there were some I worked that we both worked on, but we did work at different times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you look at the credits and you think, oh, the guys were hanging out, and you weren't. Mm-hmm. Did did he did Hal ever do any uh, chaparrales? Not that I remember, and that's it's kind of odd because looking back on it, you know, we of course the thing with chaparral is we we pretty much the the uh, stand-ins for the principals were also doubling them and doing their stunts. Mm-hmm. So and that's back when mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times when you go on location, instead of taking the stunt man over as a uh, as a stuntman, they'd bring them over as a stand-in for the actors. That way, they could pay them SEG rate, uh, and then bump them up mm-hmm. when they did a stunt. And that's what they did with Chaparral. Jerry Gatlin was probably worked outside of the regular base group, probably worked more than any other stuntman on the show because it was either Jerry Gatlin or Jerry Wills doing the doing the saddle bronc stuff. And, and Henry was the mm-hmm. stunt coordinator. He was the stunt coordinator, yeah. and he was doubling mm-hmm. a Cam. Mm-hmm. Jerry Wills was doubling Mark Slade and uh, Rudy Ramos. Uh, Jay Durkis mm-hmm. would, would double, uh, sometimes double Cam, and r- just right-of-ways and stuff like that. Uh, oh, what's his name? Um, right. That yeah. one guy? Well, no, I know the guy. I'm pretty yeah. sure well, I know, you know him too. I, this, is, this, is, this is such <laughs> embarrassing. I, I did room and board with his mom, okay. so I should know the name. Uh, you Jack should. Lilly. Okay. Jack Lilly was doing life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Collier was doing Don Collier, and Bobby Hoy was doing Bobby, Bobby Hoy, mm-hmm. and Jerry Summers was mm-hmm. doing Jerry Summers, mm-hmm. and so you know. They, but they had a very talented pool of stunt guys, especially because this is back again, like Gene mentioned earlier. Uh, this is back when, if you had a, a skill specialty, uh, especially with westerns and horse work, you'd work all the time. Yeah, that was the curse of my mm-hmm. thing. Is I came into the, the blessing and the curse. I came in when there was still a lot of horse work, but uh, it started towards the end. It started, you know, it's like. Uh, 
Horse? What's a horse? <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost out of time here. Gene, what's up? Uh, what's next for you now? What's your next book going to go on? You've got, got the Mitchum book, so what, quickly, what, oh, what are you working on? I might do something uh, Arizona Western locations is kind of what I've been researching. Mm-hmm. So that's on the, the drawing board. But I, I did want to mention one last stunt that Hal Needham did yes. in a Western. It was The Little Big Man. Yes. Uh, with Dustin Hoffman, where they're they're jumping up the lead horses on a, mm-hmm. a six-up team. as a fantastic yeah. stunt. Uh, he and uh, another guy, I think it was Alan Gibbs, was yes, doubling was. Dustin Hoffman. And Needham was playing an Indian. And they jump on the horses, and they have a kind of a, a good-natured little competition as they jump, you know, Leapfrog you. up the team. Yeah. You quite stunt, an unequal stunt. You stunt guys are nuts. And Billy Burton was <laughs> driving the coach, you know. So you, mm-hmm. had, you had a you had a uh, triage there that was the best. We're out of time, guys. Thank yeah. you so much, Gene. Appreciate thank you, Gene. Appreciate your sure. uh, time this afternoon, David. Thank you so much. My but pleasure. And we just, couldn't have done it without you, Dan. I, yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention if anyone watches the show, The Dead Files, I'll be as a guest historian on the show on April sixteenth on the Travel Channel. So. The oh, Dead Files cool. is the name of the show with Amy Allen and Steve DeShevey, April 16th. And David also writes a column for the Arizona Daily Star, Street Smarts, and it's all about streets. Imagine that. That's pretty smart. I know, and he's pre- he's a pretty <laughs> good guy about that stuff. So yeah. At least uh, the origin of the street names, yeah, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> he is good. He is good. He's a historian. All right. <laughs> Next week, it's Movie Saturday, and uh, we'll have a topic for you when we come back. And uh, appreciate uh, you listening. We'll be seeing you next time here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. So long. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. 